Malachi. We are talking about uh, God's covenant love. Today, uh, the, we're, just walking through the, we're just walking through the book of Malachi, so I'm preaching what's there, all right? Um, and so today we're talking about covenant justice. Doesn't sound like a really maybe exciting message to some of us. Justice, what does that even mean? But I think we're going to hear from what we read today that justice is very important to God. That living justly, walking justly, doing what is right in this world is very important to God. So, um, starting in chapter 2, verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? Remember, there's this back and forth conversation going throughout Malachi. By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or, where is the God of justice? I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then, suddenly, the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in the days gone by, as in former years. So I will come and put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But, do not, but they do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. So we're talking about justice today. But the big question is, whose version of justice? That's the question that, that, that God challenges the people of Israel with, challenges Malachi with, whose version of justice? God says a big part of the problem is that all who do evil, that, that people say all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord and he is pleased with them. That we've exchanged what is, what is evil for what is good and what is good for what is evil. There's a scripture that says those exact words in, in Isaiah 5, verse 20. It says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put 
darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. The first covenant, we've been talking for four weeks, this is week number four now, we've been talking about covenant. And if you don't know what covenant is, you haven't been with us and tracking with us, go back and watch uh, our first message where we introduce this, this idea. But the first covenant God made with a human and the first covenant that humans broke involved trusting God to define what is good and what is evil. In Genesis chapters two, 1 and 2, we're going to read some of that covenant. It's broken up in, in two places in, in those chapters. In, uh, in Genesis 1.26, it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals and over the creatures that move on the ground. God said he wanted to make humans so that they could rule. We were made to rule planet Earth. To, to take um, leadership over it, stewardship over it, care over our planet. Right? Um, so God created mankind, it says, in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. That word subdue it has within its understanding, again, care for it, steward it, look after it. Rule over the fish in the sea, of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit and seed with it. They will be yours for food and to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. Then Genesis 2 verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from every, any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Okay? So, so here we have God making a covenant here, humans, is your area of responsibility. Here's what you're responsible for. You're responsible to lead and steward the earth. Here's my responsibility is I'm going to provide you everything you need. I'm going to provide food. I'm going to provide everything you need. And I'm going to give you a, a million yeses. You can have anything. Anything. And I'm going to give you one no. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It is not your place, humans, to determine what is good and what is evil. It is my place alone. Trust me and all of this will work. Right? 
that was the that was true of humans in their innocent state that they could not determine by themselves good from evil and certainly in our fallen state we do not have the capacity in ourselves to determine good and evil and since Satan actually twisted Eve around to believing she was actually doing good to disobey God and do the very thing that she was told not to do. And ever since that day, there has been a demonic agenda to get humans to define good and evil on their own terms. And our whole culture has been turning morality on its head. Now I'm going to I don't often wade into political things. But I feel like feel like the church there are times I I think we need to be very very careful about joining political ideologies with with our faith and with church. But at the same time, the Bible speaks to every, every issue that we face. And there are times when the church is called to rise up and be a prophetic voice into our culture. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to step in a whole bunch of stuff today. And if I offend you, then come talk to me afterwards and we'll have a conversation. Abortion. Just the word evokes a lot of emotion. The murder of unborn children is promoted in our culture and our society as a social good. Our government has made a big deal of providing increased access to abortion, not only in our culture, in our country, but around the world. In 2015, they committed $1.4 billion per year for 10 years, that's $14 billion, primarily to promote access to abortion around the world. They've made it a justice issue, saying that it's, it's just and it's right and it's, it's, a, it's a human right to have access to abortion. Um, and it's become one of the measures of whether a country is functioning with justice and functioning well, whether women have unlimited access to abortion. They call it women's sexual health, but that is a code word for abortion. In our culture, they are, and we've, We've witnessed this happening in people that, that, that we know and have cared for. Um, screening 
for chromosomal abnormalities and pressuring people to abort if they're even suspected, not just confirmed, but just suspected, um, is a regular procedure, a regular, uh, happens regularly. How is this justice? How do we find justice in this issue? Because it's not, hear me please, it is not just about picketing abortion clinics. What are we doing as the church of Jesus Christ? What are we doing as a nation to come around frightened young women who are in a situation they did not expect to be in and resource them and support them and love them and surround them so they can choose another option where a baby doesn't have to die for them to be okay. Where is the support for women who have found themselves in this very difficult position and made the choice to have an abortion because they didn't believe they had any other option? How do we help them find healing and wholeness? Because there is grace and there is healing in Jesus. Self-righteousness is not righteousness. When we get upset about a political issue and we just point fingers and wag fingers and tell people what they ought not to do because we're better than you and we know better than you, self-righteousness is not righteousness. Righteousness without compassion is not righteousness. Made medically, medical assistance in dying. It's a nice flowery word for assisted suicide. This is held up as a kind and merciful solution to not only chronic physical pain, but now it's being expanded to emotional distress. And just last week, the Quebec government presented a bill so that people can plan it in advance. When I get to a certain level of, of health or, or unwellness, it just kicks in automatically, right? We believe that the Bible tells us that life is sacred from conception to natural death. And that the promotion of self-harm and suicide under a more palatable name is morally wrong. But our, but our culture is taking what is evil and making it good. L-G-B-T. 
feed few to flocks, etc. The Bible speaks of gay and lesbian sex as being sin, being an aberration of healthy and good sex which God intended to be a gift in a marriage between a man and a woman. And our culture has taken what Scripture calls sin and celebrated it to the point of these lifestyles being almost more respected than heterosexual marriage and even promoted in our school system and in media. Transgenderism, which was considered a, a psychological pathology until just recently, has become trendy. And in the last five years, to the point, again, that it's almost promoted in our schools and our media as the cool, the cool thing, the cool way to be. And our media and our school curriculums are very agenda-driven and have ended up sexualizing our children at way too young of an age and exposing them to ideas that they shouldn't have to think about as young children, and we call it good. Having said that, let me say this, that we, the evangelical church in Canada, needs to own some of that. When people came to us looking for help, when struggling with same-sex attraction or gender confusion, instead of listening with compassion and doing the hard work of helping them find hope in Jesus, we gave them rules and judgment and even hatred and told them they didn't belong. It is no more righteous to be hateful or uncompassionate to someone who is struggling with their sexual orientation or gender identity than it is to be affirming of homosexuality and transgenderism. One lands us in a ditch on the right and the other lands us in a ditch on the left. When we have lost touch with the one Jesus, the one who came, John 1 says, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. Then we, when we don't have grace and patience to look at someone and love them no matter what's going on in their life and bring them to Jesus, then truth becomes a weapon. And when a generation looking for hope instead get a finger waved at them over and over and told what they should do and shouldn't do and tisk tisk, right? When that's the answer that they get over and over, then they become 
exasperated and decide that they will find their own answers and rather than seek help from their lifestyle, they will justify it. And folks, as the church, we have often helped to harden people's hearts against the grace of God when all we gave them was the truth of God without the grace. Truth without grace is harsh judgment. Grace without truth is compromise with the world. Jesus came full of grace and truth. And justice must be balanced with both of these things. God says that the culture cries out, where is the God of justice? Our culture wants to hold God accountable and put Him on trial. But God alone is judge. And we will all stand or fall before Him and give account of our lives. The passage goes on to talk about when justice when justice comes to town. God says, I will send my messenger. Now, the, this is a little confusing in these couple verses here because he talks about two different messengers. Send my messenger to prepare the way before me and then I will come as the messenger. Right? This, this is the first of two prophecies in Malachi talking about John the Baptist, who comes to, to prepare the way of the Lord. And then the, the, the Elijah, the John the Baptist that comes in the end times to prepare the way for the Lord again. Right? So he says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly, the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant, whom you desire. It's Jesus. He will come. He will come. Says the Lord Almighty. Suddenly, the Lord you are seeking will come, but then he says, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who will be able to stand and face him, he says, when he appears? Isaiah just had a vision when he was worshiping in the temple, had a vision of the glory and the presence of God sitting on his throne, and all he could say is, woe is me, I am undone. What will it be like for all of our human boasting in this world? 
What will it be like when we actually come face to face with the glory of God? The idea that we can stand and give him a piece of our minds is laughable. Some of us in this room have had encounters with the glory of God. Just little tastes of his glory. And if that is any indication, those moments when you can hardly move, you can hardly speak because the glory of God is so real, so present. It's any indication when we actually come face to face with the God of glory, we will indeed be undone. It's not for no reason that over and over in Scripture, when people encountered angelic beings, they fell down in fear. And those are just created beings like you and me. They don't even compare to the Lord of glory. So God says that he is coming in glory and righteousness to complete the work of transformation. He will come in person when Christ returns. But you know what? He comes, he comes in moments of glory even now to purify his people. That is the kind of thing that is happening in Kentucky right now. God's glory has touched down in a place. People's lives are being impacted and transformed as they encounter the glory of God and surrender to Him, say yes to Him. There are people there whose lives will never be the same because of what they've encountered. And so God gives Malachi these two examples of, of purifying process. God is at work in your life, in my life. We don't just say, pray a, what we tend to call a sinner's prayer. Jesus, I need you. Forgive me. Let me into your kingdom. And then we're in and we just coast till Jesus comes. But he's actually working in our lives every moment of every day. Refining us. Making us what he wants us to be. And he gives us these two images of this, of this process. A refiner's fire, the refining of silver, the refining of fine metal, and launderer's soap or fuller's soap. A fuller is, a, is, a, is an old, how many remember Fuller Brush Company? Remember that? Yeah, some of us are old enough to remember that. Um, fuller is just an old old English word that, that means, um, you know, cleaner or, or somebody who whitens things, cleans things. So fuller soap was, was uh, yeah, 
was that. So, so let's just camp just for a moment on these two processes. Refiner's fire. He says, he, he will sit like a refiner of silver burning away the dross. He will sit like a refiner of silver burning away the dross. When a, when a silversmith takes Someone working in silver takes a piece of ore. piece of, you know, ore is, is like metal mixed with rock, mixed with other metal. It's just a bunch of stuff, raw material. And then, then you have to actually burn away impurities, burn away stuff that doesn't belong. And then you have to, have to separate the metals from one another, right? And so they, they heat it up. And as they heat it up to different temperatures, different metals melt at different temperatures. And so, um, so uh, tin melts at 321.9 degrees Celsius. So they heat it up to that temperature and, and the tin melts out of it. Lead melts at 327 degrees Celsius. They heat it up a little more and the lead melts out. Silver doesn't melt until 961.8 degrees Celsius. And so they have to heat it up to that hot, hot temperature. And they use something called a crucible, a, 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 a porcelain container that can handle that kind of heat. And they put the metal inside of it and they heat it up and separate out the metals. Gold melts at 1064 degrees Celsius. They separate out the metals, and then they take the silver, and they have, to, they have to purify it, get all the impurities out of the silver. And a silversmith knows exactly what he's doing as he does this. He pays close attention. It's a very, a very delicate process. It says that he sits, he will sit, like a refiner of silver. Why? Sit. Because you can't multitask when you're refining silver. You need to be focused. A refiner of silver never takes his eyes off of what he's working on because a, just a, just a 0.5 of a degree, just a, just a little bit of change changes everything. And so he watches, he watches the process. And then when it gets to the point of, of being melted silver, and he's purifying it, a silversmith would blow on the surface of the silver, and impurities would come to the surface. And then be scooped away. And he would blow on the surface. Impurities would come, scooped away. And he keeps doing this. And how does he know when he's done? When he sees his reflection perfectly in the silver. The silver is pure. Jesus, folks, some of you have, have felt the fire. You've felt 
the purifying work of God in your life, and it's not always fun, and it's not always free of pain. It's challenging. It's difficult. But I want you to hear me today. The refiner never takes his eyes off of you when he's doing his work in your life. He di- he's never distracted. He's not multitasking. He is looking at your life and he's paying attention to you. He will not heat it up one more degree than, you, that, than he needs to to do the work that he's doing in your life. And he is watching you and he's breathing on your life so that impurities come to the surface and he scoops them away and he breathes on your life and he scoops it away until the moment when he sees himself perfectly reflected in you until you are truly the image of Jesus in this world. Amen? And the launderer's soap, the fuller's soap. You know, we, we throw our clothes in the washing machine, dump a bit of Tide in there, a little bit of Arm & Hammer, whatever you, you know, whatever you like. Maybe a little bit of bleach if you're doing whites, Javex bleach, and, and we just let it go, right? And we take it out when it's done, throw it in the dryer, it's all good. It has not always been thus. Some of you might even remember. <laughs> yeah. Before the invention of the automatic washing machines, there was a real, a real process to cleaning and whitening clothes, especially the Sunday clothes, the whites. Right? And especially the professionals who would do this. There was a real process. And, and especially back in, in, in the days when this was written, the scripture was written. It was hard work that was done by a fuller. A fuller or cloth whitener would use lye and ashes and other chemicals. And they would use a process of stomping on the clothes and beating on the clothes and all kinds of stuff. Until the until the, you know, the cloth was perfectly white. I mean, I mean, doesn't even compare with what our what our washers do today, right? It was a real process of of cleaning and cleansing. And folks, the blood of Jesus, the work of God in our lives, the cleansing that He does day after day and week after week. See, God is not as committed to your happiness as you are. But he's more committed to your holiness than you are. He is not as committed to your happiness as you are, but he's more committed to your holiness than you are. God is at work in your and my life cleansing and transforming us into who he's called us to be. Our standard of what is right and good and true cannot be the accumulation of public opinion. It is the glory of God that is our standard. 
For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Scripture says. We may think we are clean. We may think our motives are pure. Until we come into the presence of God and suddenly realize that all of our best efforts at goodness are tainted by pride and selfishness and self-reliance and self-promotion and just plain self. Isaiah 64 verse 6 says, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Every time I read this passage, I'm tempted to go there, and today I'm going to. Because what it actually says is, all of, our filth, all of our righteous acts are like dirty menstrual cloths. That's what it says in the Hebrew. Gross. That's what it says. That all of our righteousness, our attempts at being self-righteous, Are gross. But thanks be to God that He has provided in Christ a righteousness that is not by human effort or keeping rules, but is Jesus alive in us. Amen? This is why true revival always comes through repentance and humility. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. So recognition that all of my efforts to be righteous are no good. I need to just surrender to Jesus because only he can do righteousness through me. why Jesus said the tax collector who said, God have mercy on me, a sinner, was closer to God than the Pharisee who had worked so hard all of his life to make himself pure before God. We cannot make ourselves pure. We can't even know what purity is. We need to surrender ourselves to the fuller and the refiner. Lastly, this morning, justice is love in action. God says, Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. When God has done his work of purifying our lives, then, we, then what we do will be done in righteousness, right? The offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, years of old. The word righteousness in, in the Old Testament Tzedek, 
word righteousness had had an image was an image of broke of taking what of untangling the mess of sin and greed and selfishness and making things that have become twisted and broken to be healthy, good, and whole. Feeding the hungry. It's not right that people go without food in our world. That's twisted. That's broken. That's messed up. Feeding the hungry is untwisting the twistedness of sin and brokenness. It's doing justice. It's doing righteousness. Feeding the hungry, freeing the captives, healing the broken, comforting the hurting, tending to the sick, lifting up the oppressed. God says that he will be quick to judge and testify against sorcerers. Go into those. Sorcery, let me just say sorcery. It's a real thing. There's a lot of witchcraft in our region. I don't know if you know that. There's a lot of witchcraft in our region. But it's not, it's not just talking about witchcraft, although that's part of it. Sorcery is about power. Grasping at power. It's about controlling circumstances and controlling lives. And so sorcery here is about taking power that is not yours. Adultery is about taking intimacy that is not yours to take. And perjury is about lying to cover it all up. Right? And then he says he's against those who defraud laborers of their wages. So he's, he will judge workplace injustice. He's against those who oppress widows and fatherless. Those who are financially destitute and unable to provide for themselves and, and the systems that take advantage of that. Right? Jacking up rent by 50%. There's a lot of people that are going to pay when they stand before God and they have done that to someone and put someone out on the street. And deprive the foreigners among you of justice. That we ought to embrace and love those who come into our nation, into our country. And it's speaking of foreigners as literal foreigners, but also for the Jew, a foreigner was a pagan person. Right? They were Gentiles. God's saying, just because they don't believe what you believe and worship like you worship doesn't mean you don't care for their needs and love them and look after them. Let's stand. Justice and righteousness 
was supposed to be a distinguishing factor of the people of God to set them apart from the other nations so that they would display the goodness and the glory of God in this world. It was part of the covenant that God had made with Israel that as a covenant people, they would stand out as different in the world. Do we, as God's people, do do we as the church of Jesus stand out as different? Different values, different morality, different, um, different in the sense that we We do justice by love, not by hate. Do we display God well in our world? I want to pray. It's a different message, I know, but but I believe it's close to the heart of God. I want to pray for us and uh, pray that we wouldn't just say, okay, well, that was, a, that was a great political message Pastor Andrew did and let's move on. But let's examine our hearts. Is my heart aligned with the justice and the righteousness and the goodness of God? With the love of God? I didn't plan the timing of this, but uh, I, I give the I give the the messages for the the sign out there to to our, um, to Earl. Thank you, who who does it uh, every week for us. I give it to him a month or two ahead. So the sign out there says something like, "Just love everybody." And I'll sort it out later. God. Right? And I think that's a good way to look at it. Father, I thank you for your love, your mercy, your goodness, your righteousness, your justice, your holiness. I thank you, God, for who you are. And I thank you that you're at work in our lives, bringing us into... uh, unity with you, alignment with you, transforming us. I thank you that you never take your eyes off of us as you're purifying our lives, that, that, you are, that you care for us even in the midst of our refining, that God, you are with us. Father, I pray that you would do that work in us, that we would live righteously, justly, full of love and truth and hope and mercy. May we reflect you beautifully in this world. God, where we don't, I pray that you would speak to us, convict us of our need of repentance, and bring us to a place of humility and surrender. In Jesus' name we pray. pastor for preaching God's word this day. Amen. Amen.
really came from the heart of God. Thank you. And thank you for coming today, joining us in worship. And if you have a need in your life today, I want to remind you that we serve a God who is mighty, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or could possibly think. He hears us and he answers. If you have a need, we would in, encourage you to come today. And remember, the prayer team will, will uh, pray with you. If you have to go at this time, God bless you. We hope to see you back real soon. And just want to remind you that there will be no prayer service tonight because of family day holiday. And we would encourage you to spend some time with your family. God bless you.